Guys, welcome back to Breakthrough Conversations. My name is Brett English, and tonight we have a special guest all the way from Canada. It is at Yam Socks. That's Y-A-M-S-O-X on TikTok with more than half a million followers, more than six million likes. This man, the only way I could describe him would be if Jesus Christ and Isaac Newton had a child, it would be this guy. The way he describes mathematics, metaphysics, and spirituality is so freaking beautiful and is absolute magic. So stick around, watch the whole thing. You guys will absolutely love it, and this will blow your mind and expand your consciousness like never before. At Yam Socks at TikTok, get on it. We'll see you soon. 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 Yeah. Fuck that up. But anyway. Can I ask, what actually sparked your mind? To spark the mind. Yeah, early on. Was it something you did in childhood that sort of made you think this way, or did it happen quite recently or quite sporadic? Mm, I think... There have been a couple instances where, you know, I can really point it down to something that like sparked it. But of course, in general, it's been more of like a gradual increase. When I was three years old, I remember laying down on the pillow next to my mom and hearing like my heartbeat from a vein touching the pillow. And like for some reason, it dawned on me then. I was like, that's going to stop one day. And like that freaked me out, especially for a three year old. And so I've been kind of subtly aware of mortality ever since i was quite young and that definitely i feel like creates a certain dynamic in the mind but um that's deep as fuck can you imagine being a three <laughs> yeah, yeah i know so right? like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. one of my other favorite memories was uh the scientist came to my school in grade one and uh i don't remember what type of scientist, you know, it's pretty broad label. And uh, they were just describing what it was to, to be a scientist and what science was. And uh, we were all getting interested on like what kinds of science. And we were just throwing buzzwords out like rocks. And she'd be like, yeah, geology, that's a, there's a science of rocks. It was so cool to learn like there was a science about everything. But uh, I remember putting up my hand and for some reason or another, like I had the question, what about the science of nothing? And the teacher didn't under, or the scientist didn't understand, like, like, what do you mean? And I was trying to get across, like, no, like an actual science about, like, the nature of nothingness is how I would have articulated today. But, of course, I couldn't in grade one. But I think that goes to show that uh, for some reason or another, I've always been fascinated with, like, the abstract and the subtle nature of things and the meta of it all. Yeah, yeah, wow. I'm sure that scientist would have going home and pondered yeah <laughs> i hope so yeah. or maybe not <laughs> at least drive home like <laughs> now yeah sorry yeah because that's a very like um it's a very interesting question to ask a scientist you know what i mean because i think when it comes to like at least the scientific realm everything is always all about like the is very attached to like the material realm you know like they don't really think about yeah. anything beyond that you know so asking a scientist about the nature of nothing is like so it's it would be so out of their so out of the like realm of kind of like it's not understanding it's just kind of like it's it'd be so out of the ordinary because they would have never pondered that you know they would have never right. taken the time to just be like okay oh, holy shit what is the science of nothing That's a, <laughs> well science is typically about things <laughs> yeah yeah exactly you know science, science is all about like um the material you know we haven't really delved into like the i don't know the kind of science that tesla was kind of trying to touch on I think he was mm-hmm. he was the f- first person to kind of touch on like that 
deeper like frequency level of science but we right. kind of just shun that and i think that i think that's where we need to get to and i think it'd be it'd be interesting to see where we go with that and like how do how, at, at three years old like when you were having that thought like this is gonna stop one day mm-hmm. i wouldn't ask how it changed your life but like what impact did that have on you well i mean it got me thinking about death and yeah. death is such an interesting object of meditation because you focus on death, like a lot of insights arise at some point in my life. Eventually that led to uh, another big moment. I was outside, I was staring at the moon and sometimes I have conversations with the stars just for shits. You know, it's very, it's very like, um, it, it, simulation is going out and kind of Shakespearean and uh, I remember being like okay what 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 actually is death right what is it the end of end of the body or the end of the mind or what am I really afraid of losing is it the stories that have accumulated or the things I've learned or the friends I've met and just that kind of discussion with within oneself about death I feel like is the real essence of of, uh, of philosophy and spirituality, and it's just so much revelations occur as a consequence of that. Beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful. So, in these conversations with the stars, did it feel like it helped you, or you had certain epiphanies, or did you feel like looking out into the infinite cosmos expanded your own mind to be able to receive or channel or access hidden? Oh, most, most certainly. Yeah, I think that that night. The biggest revelation that I had was was also concerning the nature of of nothing. Nothing has been a big little uh, attribute of my life, and uh, I was like imagining, you know, presuming death leads to this vast, vast eternal nothingness. I was like, what would that be like, right? Because it wouldn't be blackness or darkness or silence, because all of those are still. Those are properties of nothing and not nothing itself. Or those are properties that nothing gives. Like if we have a box that contains nothing in it, we say that the box is empty or the box is void, but we never said anything if if nothing was void or if nothing was empty. Mm. So if after death there is nothingness, then it cannot be absent or it cannot be void or silent or blackness because those aren't nothing. Those Those are the properties that nothing gives. So it dawned on me that truly nothing was stopping nothing from containing anything at all or everything in fact and slowly and slowly i started piecing together that the true nature of nothingness is not emptiness but not so different from what's around us right now because all of this this is contained within you know space within vacuum within nothing Mm. it's going back to your video where the universe does not exist but all that it contains does exist. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that that's a trip, man. I remember I spent some late nights looking at your videos and like, fuck is going on, <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> I'm quite spiritual minded, but I've never really gone into like the paradoxes and the nothingness and the the physics of it all. Is just wow, you know? What yeah. got you into into the physics side of things and the mathematics? Because you go pretty deep into that sort of stuff. And I've actually learned so much from your videos because I have no clue what you're talking about. When when right. I first started watching them, and I'm like, it actually makes sense by the end of it. Mm. Well, there's many different pathways one can take on the spiritual journey. Mm. And uh, 
the yoga sutras kind of enumerate different paths you can take. There's the path of of uh, of jnana yoga, which is the pathway of of knowledge to enlightenment, and that's through intellectual stimulation through like physics and mathematics and whatnot. And that really inspired me, um, primarily because you know I wanted to know how it all works. Like everyone, you're born into this onto this rock, hurling through the void, and you're like, what? <laughs> like, how why where uh yeah. for what and uh of course and there's kind of like a hierarchy of the sciences and if we start within the mind at psychology we can kind of backtrack and abstractify and notice that psychology well that's essentially just applied neurology or sociology and mm-hmm. those are applied uh biology and that's applied chemistry and chemistry is applied physics so as we trace down to get to the source of things, eventually at some point we hit physics, and that's pretty lower down in the chain. You know, mm-hmm. physicists are searching for a so-called theory of everything to describe all the interactions in the physical world. And so that uh, really sparked a curiosity in me that physics was so deep down the ladder. Uh, but one can go deeper. You know, all of the phys- uh, physics is described by what I call the language of the universe, or as most people call just mathematics. Uh, and so, of course, that's a deeper route. And that is built up upon logic. And logic is built on philosophy. And then we kind of loop again. We, we started sense. at philosophy and we ended up at philosophy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, starting, I'm starting to see why. Because I remember uh, Plato, with all of his new recruits and students, the first thing he would teach them is mathematics, not mm-hmm. philosophy. Just to have a foundation. And I never really understood why. But now I'm sort of understanding as seeing your content. It's yeah. a totally different... It's I think, different to what I'm expecting, yeah. Yeah, I think like I'm just, I think it was kind of like a similar route to me, obviously not to the same depth as you, but like when you start kind of delving into like at mathematics and very superficial physics, it kind of it starts connecting things on a very different level, you know, like going from like just to the, going just from the physical to like um going down into like atoms and all that stuff and like how it all right. it's, it's it's interesting you know it, it makes you ponder i think it was um i'm not sure if it was donald hoffman um no donald hoffman was a new neurologist there was a physicist who kind of found binary code in the, on the um in the structure of the universe so mm-hmm. it's like holy shit is this the matrix like it kind of like added on to like the um the the whole matrix theory a little bit right. yeah like the whole holographic theory a little bit and um so what what did you what did you find around like mathematics and how it kind of structures the universe the, the binary fractals, yeah 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 it's funny you mentioned binary because like that's exactly it that's so it's such a fundamental thing the concept of like zeros and ones true truthums and falsums like it's it's the simplest object besides something that is one because you start at one you get two um but in order for for really science to be done you need multiple things and the only the the simplest quantity that is a multiple is two and of course, the reason that's important is because science is the study of like hypotheses and quantification. And you only ever need to query or to quantify things if there exists a possibility for multiplicity. 
because if we query a set of selections and there's only one object, well, we'd never need to question because we already know the answer. But if there's multiple objects in a collection, then that's when a question is important because then there's a choice. So the simplest choice that could be made is between two things, between a binary choice, whether it was zero or a one, a yin and a yang, the duality at the heart oh, of it wow. all. Wow, that's, that's insane. That's, again, never thought about it like that. <laughs> never thought about it like that. Yeah. And you've mentioned that all knowledge or infinite knowledge already lies within us. Sure. Um, how do we access that knowledge? Is there any shortcuts to this or is it old fashioned hard work? Mm, I think my favorite way of, uh, of describing the universe is so far is set theory which describes everything as, as, as collections of things and collections of collections. And that's a surprisingly powerful tool, tool so surprising, in fact, that uh, so powerful that uh, it's literally beyond infinite. Like the amount of possible combinations you could make with the concept of just sets and collections and things containing other things is literally beyond infinity. It's like beyond finite, but also beyond infinity. So because of that, it could represent anything and everything, including the universe. But the very essence of a set or a collection is nothing but like an acknowledgement. If I say like, hey, I've got a collection of shoes. All that really is is a certain like envelope of awareness an acknowledgement of those things. And every set within those sets are also acknowledgements. So secretly set theory and used uh, to describe all of mathematics and the universe is really a theory about how many ways awareness can combine with itself, how many ways we can combine acknowledgments and, uh, and our awareness to knit together various things. And so when one puts it in that perspective, when the essence of all of the universe can be described in, in terms of awareness only, then of course we have the power to understand literally any aspect or truth about the universe because we have awareness and this mm -hmm. awareness can combine with itself in a beyond infinite number of ways to access anything that you desire mm, beautiful beautiful i love the way you yeah, articulate yeah, things man yeah. like you can break down vast concepts you explain it to a child aka myself yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're all children <laughs> to grasp that um yeah. can i ask you what your thoughts are on the bible and what you think the bible originally was written for and made to try and express yeah yeah uh i know in modern times a lot of us see the bible as kind of this uh this this like tool that was used to, to oppress and certainly it has the power to do that but i think deeper down that shows the true power of uh of this like there's a certain like energy to religious texts because they inspired like not only millions but billions of people for thousands of years so there's something very archetypal about the stories in the bible and truthfully i think they're quite profound uh, uh, and but very easily misinterpreted and i think the reason that uh, the bible especially can be so misinterpreted is because you know thousands of years ago when we had discussions about philosophy we didn't have like the proper words to describe very complicated mechanisms or very intricate or subtle. So we had to use metaphors, you know, like today we have the word consciousness, but back then all, we could only describe it as like the, uh, the breath 
Like that's lit- like the word for soul oh, and spirit nice. comes from the word yeah. breath. And so when we go to translate those old words today, we, we do a great job linguistically translating it, but we forgot their original meaning. Oh, now we're talking about breath and dividing the waters from the waters, but it was all a metaphor for philosophy because we just didn't have the words that we used to describe today back mm-hmm. then. Wow. Well, what are some of the biggest misinterpretations that you've seen in the Bible that you'd wish to correct? Oh, I think my favorite is like the first line. <laughs> yeah. The, and probably the most important line, Genesis 1-1, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I could go on forever about that. I'll keep it short and sweet, though. But uh, I think the biggest, uh, the biggest uh, change I would make is that the Hebrew word, because the earliest version we have of it is in Hebrew on the Dead Sea Scrolls, and the Hebrew word for create is uh, is more accurately translated to discern or like just an acknowledgement of a difference. Mm. And the words for heaven and earth uh, come from, you know, the old words for like the elements like uh, like water, fire, air, and of course, earth. Earth is the earth, unsurprisingly. But heaven uh, is, a, is in, in Hebrew is like it literally translates to water, air. So... Mm. When we make those, uh, when we plug in those back into uh, into the first line, we get that God discerned between water, air, and earth. And of course, I imagine the, the creation of the universe, the first things that didn't exist was was air, water, or, or earth, because those are pretty complicated. These are more metaphorical and symbolical. Well, what is water and air if not fluids? And so we're comparing a fluid to something more solid. It's a discernment to be made between the form and the formless. So thus, in my opinion, the first line of the Bible is really, uh, in the beginning, a discernment was made between form and formless, existence and non-existence. That, would that be the creation of the elements as well, like discerning the elements like ether being the heavens and earth being the actual earth? Or sure, was- yeah. Yeah, but it but in a more metaphorical way. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. That's a that really hits the Bible in such a better way than what I've been used to. Yeah, how would you, <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. <laughs> how would you try and how would you connect to those um, the physics and um, and the context of the Bible in in sort of that context in the, um, the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. How would you explain it to someone in the most simplest way, kind of um, connecting science physics? and the, um, the the text itself. Sure. I think we have a very similar explanation for the universe in, in uh, according to our current theory, which is uh, cosmological something. It's a fun acronym that is uh, our formal theory, which is essentially the theory of the Big Bang. And in, in its most distilled form is essentially that all things were one. The singularity of the beginning of the time. We have four fundamental forces now, but back then they were all unified as the grand unified force, and all of space and time uh, were indistinguishable. It was just so infinitely homogeneous. The universe was nothing but a zero-dimensional point. And exactly what happened after doesn't particularly matter, but what did happen after is that there was a, a separation between everything. That we had a non-dual state of existence at oh, the beginning okay. of time. And then suddenly that changed into uh, 
a, a dualistic existence where things can be differentiated from each other and we have objects instead of a subject that was the singularity. Well, and do you think that was represent, represented by the Big Bang? And what are your thoughts on the Big Bang? Is that a... I think it's pretty... Uh, of course, there's a, a lot of kinks to iron out. There's, there's yeah. uh, exactly how quickly it happened or to what extent and what time scale we have disagreeing measurements on. But we're pretty confident that, uh, or physicists are, that uh, at some point in time, um, all of the world lines between all the objects in the universe, they overlapped and at the same point and at the same time. And so I do, I do agree with that premise that there was kind of a local start to time. Nice. nice and yeah, going, going yeah. back to the discernment in the beginning and your video on heaven doesn't actually exist. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. How would you sort of break that down or explain that to like a Christian person or trying to say, look, heaven doesn't exist. It's actually. Yeah, I probably wouldn't say that because yeah. you know, you know, that's, I don't want to I don't I wouldn't want to break anyone's paradigms down. But um, if, in fact, it's a really good thing that it doesn't because it becomes more real. Mm. And when I say that something doesn't exist now, I don't mean that it's not real. I just mean it's not, I don't, it's just not an object because objects are what comprise existence, mm. but subjects are what comprise non-existence. And I think there's this direct correlation between this concept of divinity or God or uh, higher power and the concept of non-existence. I think there's a, there's a one-to-one -one correspondence. We look in, uh, we ask a, a physicist, a pretty skeptical physicist, you know, what what came before everything? Well, he'll, you don't have to be a physicist. You could just, well, nothing came before everything, like like by definition of the word everything and nothing. Mm. Uh, well, that's interesting then, that nothing came before everything. And a theist would tell you that God came before creation. And so there's kind of a one-to-one a -one correspondence here between creation and everything and a creator and nothing. And of course, if, if heaven is the kingdom of this god the place in which it comprises then namely the place of nothingness is is nowhereness it's non-existence and that's not to say it doesn't it's not real because it doesn't exist it's just not an object unlike like every other object in this universe mm. it's just not a thing <laughs> when it's nothing it doesn't mean it's 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 not it's just not a thing right yeah yeah 100 do you do you believe in um, or what is your concept of a creator or god or source consciousness around those lines mm -hmm. um i think the pantheistic view is, is quite quite appropriate to assume that the uh the creation unto itself is the creator mm. um where god is in everything god is in nature that that pant sure that yeah pantheism right yeah yeah okay when we have like say an artist and art they kind of define each other there is a closed loop and the only real distinction between an artist and art is within the mind and so for one to assume that god is is separate from uh god's creation well again that's like the distinction between an art and an artist it's a distinction only within the mind mm -hmm. i love that there reminds me of um Michelangelo's painting where God is in a brain reaching out to Adam with the finger. 
Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the first thing I thought of when you broke that down. Um, can you tell us about the cosmological constant? Of course. Yeah. That's a classic number. I think it's about like 0.9 something. Uh, but it, it's like uh, it holds the power to the fate of the universe. If it's if it's too big, the universe rips itself apart. That's the big rip. If it's too small, then uh, the gravity takes over and it all crunches, the big crunch. Uh, but if it's just right, then uh, the universe will neither rip itself apart from expansion nor crunch back together, but will just perfectly expand out and just settle the waters. And that's the heat death. And that's where we measure the cosmological constant today. It seems like exactly on the heat death scenario. How, how, did, how did this number get discovered? Like, and, and also, what is it? Because I'm still struggling to understand. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's just a number, you know, it's between zero and one, but, uh, but we, we can measure it by, uh, checking like, of course, when we look out into space, the further we look out, the more, uh, time it must've taken for that light to reach us because light doesn't travel instantly. Mm. So when we do look out, uh, further into the past, we see that, uh, you know, galaxies were closer together. Uh, which is crazy because we expected the universe to be infinite. So how was that infinite space smaller to the smaller infinity kind of thing back then? Uh, but that's a tangent. Uh, and essentially that that uh, that constant is just a reflection of the difference between how small the universe was previously and how big or I guess better word is sparse, how sparse it is today. So, is it, so are we kind of measuring the rate in which the universe is expanding exactly yeah okay. yeah 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 and it has to be perfect and if is, it, is there a possibility that depends if you believe in the multiverse theory but is there a possibility that that number is so perfect that if every potential multiverse has its own specific number that's perfect or that's just a number that has to be perfect in every multiverse oh that's a good question yeah <laughs> I, truthfully, I, I don't know the answer to it, but, but it is like nearly exact for this universe at the very least. Any any yeah. any deviation and the universe would have an end, which is quite interesting because where yeah. it is right now, it doesn't seem the universe has an end in terms of time. Yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts on the multiverse theory? Um, I, well, it's beautiful, of course, especially... Uh, taking into consideration the interpretations of, of quantum mechanics where every choice like spawns another reality. I mean, that could, a parallel universe or uh, alternate timeline, they're essentially the same concept. Uh, but um, psychologically or philosophically, uh, I think it's critical that we take more attention to whatever universe we're in, of course. Uh, yeah. which is less exciting <laughs> but i think it is like a really important physiological consequence to take it uh into account that are we imagining a universe beyond this one because we're like uncontent with this one or we want to believe in a purpose or a greater reality outside the self uh you know what's what's wrong with with the one we're in you know <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 i get that but but, but like if the I'm, I'm not sure how you how I would view this, it's more like, um, I think, how many dimensions are needed in order for an atom to be stable? I think it's 12, 7, 12? Oh, yeah, that's, that's in, in string theory. String that theory. requires a couple more 
uh, dimensions. String, string, bosonic, and Higgs. Oh, yeah. But like through like just through like the um, understanding of like dimensions, wouldn't there also be a possibility that through these dimensions, we are able to have alternate alternate dimensions on an in an alternate universe, I guess, is the question? In some yeah. sense, yeah, yeah. But the problem with that is we, we kind of use the word dimension in two ways. There's the way that, uh, that um, we use it in like movies and video games where it's kind of like, like another realm, so to speak. Yeah. Um, uh, but we also, but the but the formal version of dimension that uh, a physicist or a mathematician will use is 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 less magical <laughs> than, than like another realm. It simply means like a uh, like an independent degree of freedom, and we have three independent degrees of spatial freedom in our universe, and one independent degree of temporal freedom or the order of causality of freedom. And uh, that's why we say we have three dimensions of space, one dimension of time, and together they're 40. But that's only taking into account if we're only talking about degrees of freedom when it comes to space and time. But we can have other degrees of freedom uh, that are more abstract. Um, and for example, like literally basically any aspect of life can be a degree of freedom. Like how how happy are you on a scale of, of one to ten? That's a degree of freedom. So there's a dimension of happiness there. Oh, yeah. And I think that's what connects like the mystical side of using the word dimension to the physical side is is literally speaking, like happiness is its own dimension. So is pleasure and pain and all the emotions. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And what do you kind of going back to death, do you kind of what do you think happens when we die? If we do go into nothingness, do we like go into another dimension? Do we kind of um, go into another life? Is it like a, what What are your thoughts on it? What happens after? Well, I love, you know, as above, so below, you know, the op mutually opposites infinities seem to be equivalent, equivalent, the alpha and the omega, a negative infinity and positive infinity behave like identical. In fact, they're, they're probably much like negative and positive zero. It's the same number. So yeah. similarly, uh, if we map such a scale to like a human life, I think the beginning and the end are not so different. And we can see this when it comes to imagining what we were before birth. Well, we weren't, <laughs> right? We yeah, weren't Australia. Uh, anything. So we went from nothing to, to something. And well, it's kind of two scenarios. Either you go from something to nothing or something to something. If we go some, from something to something, then there's no problem there. You know, great, we're, we still are. But if we go from something to nothing, even then that leads to something because uh, if we went from nothing to something to nothing, we can kind of visually represent this. We go from nothing to something to nothing. We're back where we started. Um, and the reason we're back where we started and they're not two different nothings uh, is because if they were two different nothings, then there'd be something to compare about them. So one of them must not be something or must be something because you can only compare somethingnesses to other somethingnesses. Yeah, nothing yeah, cannot yeah. be compared with itself. So any nothing that happens is the same nothing. So we go from nothing to something to nothing. Then that's already a loop. We've entered a sort of cyclical reincarnation. So either after after death, we lead to something or after death 
we lead to nothing, then to something. So either way, it ultimately leads to something. Something. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And what what are your thoughts on like your having a soul and how the soul links to like your mind and your and living? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, uh, I love the word soul. It, uh, of course, as I kind of mentioned, the soul and breath kind of came from the same word. And those were really early words for consciousness before we were, had the word consciousness. Uh, and today, uh, quite a few people have, have forgotten that, especially the people that it matters. Uh, like a lot of psychologists don't believe in a soul. And it's like... <laughs> You're joking, right? Because the yeah. soul literally means conscious, and you study conscious. You've forgotten what the word soul means, anyway. But, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, precisely that. When it comes to the soul, the consciousness, the the essence of our identity, and what makes us alive today, I think it is safe to say. In fact, I would posit, and I I know it is safe to say that that continues after death because it is not a thing. It's an it's not an object, but the subject to whom which objects occurs as this experience of consciousness we're having right now. We are not an object, but a subject to whom which objects occur. So upon death, all of the objects within it will kind of return to the water, so to speak, from our eyes. We'll see the, the vision of the world fade into darkness and our sound fade into silence these objects within our consciousness will fade back into the void in which it came from our eyes uh, but the consciousness lives on uh, because it's not a thing and thus nothing can be taken away from it um, but we can inflate the mind for consciousness, and the mind is not consciousness, but the mind is the, the mirror upon which we see the reflection of consciousness. And so if we imagine all of space and time being nothing but, well, just let's just call it the field, the great universal field of the universe, the vacuum, the void, which, which all things reside within. And since we are a part of that as the universe then there's some mechanism in the universe for that field to reflect onto itself so that that field, as the universe, can be aware of itself, this field of awareness. And so it's not that consciousness is any object within that field, but is the field itself. And the mind is like that mirror upon which the universe can see its own reflection. So upon death, the consciousness is not dying. It is the mind and body which do. And we, again, we won't see our reflection to our views and mind. Well, we won't have one, but we won't have our self-awareness uh, anymore. We'll have awareness still, but no self-awareness. So the consciousness continues. Because uh, there's no self, technically. Right. But yeah. So, so is self-actualization the realizing of this before we die? Is that Precisely. Precisely. Mm, makes a lot of sense. I, um, what's your relationship with the occult? Because I noticed you had a video where you broke down Pythagoras's painting and all the different symbologies and that sort of thing. What do you think that these old yeah. mystics were trying to communicate with these symbols? Well, typically I feel like um, Out. You still hear me? Yeah, we can, we can hear now. It's coming back. 
Great. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like a lot of the occult and uh, and mysticism is kind of like a side quest. <laughs> it's like just having fun, but it's still kind of a part of the story. And there's a lot of these like off branches. If we imagine like, let's suppose just for the sake of argument, there's like this great path, which is the self-actualization, self-realization. Uh, that's the main quest. Uh, it's so energetic, like a river that anyone who enters this stream can easily get shot off. And I feel like a lot of these uh, like religions and and uh, ideologies are kind of just like offshoots of that. They owe, they go and create their own kind of expression of of self uh, actualization, such as like the Freemasons and the Pythagoreans and you name it, the Jains, the Hindus, the Buddhists. All of these are just uh, expressions of of this ultimate path. True. Interesting. And um, I wanted to ask you this before, actually. Where do you think mankind began to learn mathematics? Or who? Um, what taught us mathematics? Because I think mathematics is a very complex concept. Like, it's very difficult, like, for us to to just kind of wake up one morning and just kind of think that, you know, like, this, we can we can use numbers to kind of create things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't see how someone could just wake up one morning. It's like, okay, cool. I could use this and I could use one plus one <laughs> to create something, you know? Where, where know. do you know where that yeah. came from? Uh, I know, isn't that hilarious? That's yeah, dude, it's, it's, it blows my mind. I mean, of course, <laughs> um, it, it sure has snowballed from like, keeping tally marks on a rock to keep track of like hot like crop harvests and whatnot yeah. uh, now we're like calculating the volume of sixth dimensional hyperspheres and with different laws of physics it's like I, I don't know what the use of that is but but yeah it's very strange how we have this like mechanism within us to understand reality through um like symbol manipulation because that's essentially what uh, mathematics is. I think Terence McKenna talked about this, which is that uh, language and mathematics as a whole is, is kind of like the synesthesia, like a correlation between uh, one thing and another, where they might be separate things, but we uh, but we symbolize one with another. We symbolize the set of sounds that is tree with what tree represents, the physical thing or the archetype of which. And similarly, we use like symbols like the plus sign, the equation, and the, uh, the numerals. Uh, pardon me, to to represent like quantity and whatnot, which is such a I like I I also don't understand how we made that connection, how we are able to associate symbols with what the symbols represent. It's it it baffles me as well. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. it's, it's uh, beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. It is beautiful. Because if we, if we think about things like, you know, the pyramids and stuff, I think we would have to have like a very deep, deep understanding of just phys of mathematics. Like, I just don't see how like we would have been able to like create something so perfect to the millimeter, right. you know, to the millimeter. Yeah. Um, if we didn't understand mathematics, you know, it mm -hmm. would be it would be very, very difficult. What are your thoughts on like um, uh, the pyramids, who do you think created them and um, where do they come from? And then how, why do we have 
so many different so many similar structures around the globe with pointing at the exact same um place in the co in the cosmos or similar place ah uh, <laughs> i mean there's so many things to point to like if i made a big statue in my backyard that was like of a material that could last thousands of years i think someone would come along and look at it and be like oh look at that it points to orion or whatever but uh, uh, of course, you know, any direction that you point, there is a star. Um, so I'm not so certain that there there is a, a, a real big significance uh, to do the pyramids. That said, I know a lot of people do believe there is. And I think that's important that a lot of people do because that shows me that there is this, uh, this pattern of thought which has existed around the globe, transmitted through society for thousands of years, that there is some significance to the pyramids. There is this... Uh, deep archetype within us that uh, that wants to believe that there is some some mystical power and that itself whether or not that represents a real truth about the pyramids or not the very fact that there is that underlying belief about it I think is what makes them magical and a sort of uh, very very real uh, I don't want to use the word placebo because that kind of devalues the mysticism but there is this yeah. archetype within our consciousness but yeah. truthfully i don't think much about the pyramids <laughs> oh, okay yeah 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 because it seems like um i don't know I, I just found it strange how we have um such different civilizations or different um tribes who also have pyramids but kind of paint a similar story i guess we would um we would say um, in different parts of the world. I think it was um, China, um, China, Turkey, Egypt, Mexico. Uh, Mexico. Um, and it seems like the, it's always like a similar story where there's like some sort of alien or something along those lines who um, kind of came down and taught them, gave them all these kind of skills, blah, blah, blah. Um, right. do you, yeah. Do you think it is, um, what are your thoughts on like the possibility of us being um, alien experiments, I guess, or if um, being taught by aliens. Mm. Certainly, it is possible. But if we break down the symbolism within these stories, because it is like cross-cultural and often appearing at the same point in time across distances where there couldn't have been communication between these two people, yet they all share the same uh, archetypal stories. Uh, but the stories themselves kind of uh, tell us what happened on the level that we can ex uh, understand experientially, which is that there is this group of people or this person who or who are uh, living life uh, a bit, you know, not very not very advanced. They're a bit primitive. They're you know killing each other and whatnot, and then. From up above, this great being or race comes, and 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 from the, uh, and it works in that direction that the information is received from above to below. That it's not that they land and then we we tell us our knowledge. It's always them from up above transmitting like extra knowledge to us. Uh, yeah. So if we like distill that into uh, into the symbolism, we ha we find this. Uh, this metaphor, I find that that knowledge and understanding comes from from above to below, and perhaps this is represented by the Kundalini serpent around the the uh, the staff of Hermes, and maybe that represents, say, the uh, 
the the the, uh, the Messiah's cross or the spine from the center of knowledge being up here in our human body. But there is this uh, sort of hierarchy of knowledge that happens from above to below. And I think there, that is truly what should be taken away from these stories of aliens or gods coming from above, right? That's yeah, an awesome perspective, yeah, bro. Awesome perspective, yeah. Yeah, first time I've heard of that perspective, but it actually makes so much sense. sense yeah. Um, have, do you have any practices in your life where meditation or kundalini or things of that nature that really help you, I don't know, they sort of balance your lifestyle or help you think or give you insights? What are your practices that you're involved in? Well, meditation is great. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, Meditation isn't so important as it is the meditative state that's important, and that you can do that in a variety of ways. Like uh, pretty much, pretty much anything could be a meditation. You know, like a morning shower, morning walk, mm. uh, playing a certain sport. But the state of mind one gets in, and not necessarily exactly what the body does, but the special like little sauce that the meditative state uh, creates is that. It's essentially a redirection of our awareness from the external world to the internal world. So when we meditate, what do we do? We Maybe we listen to music, we focus on our breath that directs our sense of sound to a, to a closer source. We close our eyes so that we're no longer seeing at the external world, but the back of our eyelids and the visuals that are being pasted around by our, our consciousness. And we cl- close our our body into a little little mountain, a little ball, where we hold our hands and our legs stuck each other under. We're directing our sense of feeling under. So in meditation, what we're doing is all of our senses, we're directing uh, inwards. And I think ultimately that's forwards. It's for answering the cosmic question of, of, of who am I? You know, who is, what is this? Because mm. the source in which we understand everything and perceive this universe is here it's our consciousness which allows this experience of existence to happen so if we center the consciousness on itself it's like boom (laughs) some crazy stuff happens you get revelation you work through some deep trauma maybe you get a great idea for creation you uh you find satisfaction fulfillment relaxation contentment all of it is is happens this nucleus uh of focus that happens when we center our awareness inwards instead of outwards. Mm. Well, what, what do you think a human being is and the meaning of our existence? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> I always say to that question uh, that it's the first word which answers that. It's it's what? Yeah. And what is what, right? Well, what is a question, but, but what is a question? And a question is... Well, again, it's that it's that query for a, from a collection. You know, you wouldn't ask a question about what color the sky was if there was only one option. You just know it was it would be well, the sky is the only color that is. So the very fact that we can ask the question, what color is the sky, implies the existence of multiplicity and manyness. It is an initiation of the unknown. It's this creation of a space for possibility. And something filling that, it's the law of attraction. So by asking the question, what is the purpose of humanity or life or or the meaning of it all, 
it kind of answers itself because the ability to ask is the ability to create that vacancy and initiation for truth and greater purpose and and uh, and select from the multiplicity of the universe. So what is the question and the answer? <laughs> Dude, that is the, that's the best answer I've ever heard to yeah. that question. <laughs> yeah. you know, wow. How old are you, bro? Um, uh, I love this question. I find it I find it really interesting for some reason. Like, you know, the the atoms within my body, of course, are you know thirteen point seven billion years, and the <laughs> DNA comprising me is you know uh, millions to billions as well. And the uh, the uh, the concepts pervading us as humans uh, have been being grown through society through tens of thousands of years. And uh, but uh, but we start counting uh, at birth, which is funny because why not any of the those other times that also constitute our being? And so if we are counting from birth, then I've completed about twenty revolutions of the sun, or about six hundred and thirty million seconds. <laughs> wow, twenty years old. That's Damn, that's man. awesome, bro. So, do do you believe that, or do you have memories of? past lives and things of that nature do you have any awareness of what was before you were born um no <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay yeah just, just in case well what do you think the dream world is what do i think the dream world is oh that's a that's a great question mm. um i think to answer that, that well what happens when we go to sleep we're Again, it's like that meditation where we're directing the senses inward, we're pacifying the senses so that we're left not with anything external, but only what's uh, what's internal to us. You know, it's like the, there's a bunch of different quotes that kind of uh, point to this evidently, like, you know, you only know the faces that you've seen before in your dream. Well, that shows you that your dreams are kind of nothing more than a collection of or accumulation of your experience. And I think... I like to uh, my one of the weirdest analogies that I think really works is the, is the Large Hadron Collider. You know, smashing particles for two years or four years together, collecting like terabytes of data by the hour, uh, but then it shuts off, and it has to shut off because it's collected so much data that it needs to go process that data. And I think we see this in in uh, in, in in pretty much every aspect of the universe that there's there's a cycle, an upward cycle of of uh, of creation and a downward cycle of like maintenance, and I feel like dreams are that uh, that processing of our experience because like right now in this experience we're accumulating so much data within. I mean, what what's the resolution of our vision? It's like beyond 4K, right? And you know how how uh, how much data is in a 4K video, and similarly all the sounds that's coming into us and all of all of our other senses and we're not processing all of that we're kind of like storing it we're like okay get, get it tuck it in within ourselves repress it into the subconscious uh, but it's still there because it, it arises in our dreams we have fears that arise that have been come from our childhood and whatnot these experiences and data that we've accumulated so i feel like the dream world is like accessing these uh these fears and these patterns of thought that have been working their ways within our subconscious and it's kind of like the warehouse 
of our of our consciousness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> do, yeah. do you believe that in dream state or in the dream world we actually travel? We're traveling to a different dimension or place, or is this a fully internal thing somewhere in the subconscious? Uh, well, from our perspective, it's not like we're going anywhere. It's like it, it goes to us. Mm. And, uh, and and that's actually the premise, of course, of Einstein's relativity. You know, is the apple falling to Newton's head or is Newton's head falling to the apple? Yeah. And you cannot say for certain that it's either. Uh, but what we can say for certain is that to the apple's perspective, uh, Newton's head comes is, is coming towards it. Similarly, from our con- conscious perspective, we're kind of seated in the same place. We've always been in the same place, but like a video game or a top-down uh, game. It's the, it's the game which moves around the camera. Uh, and similarly, in this day-to-day life, when we're walking around the house and stuff, it's it's just kind of just feels like it's it's the house which is like rotating around you and your body's uh, adapting to it. And likewise, uh, waking state and uh, dream state kind of take place in the same part of our vision, the same part of our conscious experience that we mm. see the universe taking place in the spate, space when we're awake. Uh, but then it kind of transition or changes form from our perspective into the dream world. So they kind of take place within the, the same space. Mm. And we're not really traveling anywhere, but but the objects within it are. It comes back to the whole, like, everything's an illusion. It's just our consciousness interpreting information in a certain way. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's a great interpretation. Interesting. Damn, man. Damn. Um, one of your videos, you talked about the monster and something called the E8 or Leech Lotus in the 8th and 12th, 24th dimension. I have no idea. I can't remember all of it. Yeah. But <laughs> what, what, what is this monster and this E8? Well, they're they're shapes, but they're like really cool shapes, you know, like a like a triangle has three points and exists in two dimensions. The monster has like it's like 88 octodecillion points and exists only within 200,000 dimensions. Oh, um, 200,000 dimensions. Is this yeah, like so what you probably like see when you do like shrooms or you ask her or something? Hey, honestly, like it probably it's sort of like it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think there's a there's a MIT did a lecture recently about how psychedelics and DMT specifically kind of activate, uh, you know, fractal patterns and this expanding of space into something that looks like hyperbolic space with a lot of symmetries. And that is exactly what you expect the uh, the E8 or the leech lattice or the monster to look like. They're they're highly symmetric. Um, so perhaps indeed that is what we see on psychedelic experiences. Have, I think have so. you ever done psychedelics or things of that nature? I've done it a couple of times. Yeah, I never had sincere uh, hallucinations. It was definitely more of a headspace. But uh, but yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, what did what did you take? Uh, I've taken uh, psilocybin, uh, mm. magic mushrooms, of course, and uh, LSD a few times. That was it? Nice. Yeah. Also, for me. Uh, marijuana itself is like release really, uh psychedelic um yeah. so i would also consider that personally psychedelic yeah yeah have you ever had like a, an out-of-body experience or like a conversation with something that's spiritual that's not you or any any of anything like that or is it mainly just your thoughts in these psychedelic experiences 
uh, I, I couldn't say that it'd be like an out of body experience or like another another entity because both of those I feel like are very like dualistic notions. To be out of the body assumes that there is a separation between one and the body. And like another entity also assumes that there is a part of you which is not, which is communicating. And for me, it's always been a very uh, non-dual state on psychedelics. There is no distinction between body, not body, other entity, in mm. an in, in entity. It's just all all one. But you know, probably have had you know like uh, thoughts enter my mind which feel like they have not come from myself. No, like no. a higher mind or maybe like you're expanding your consciousness to sure yeah yeah, yeah. I'm trying to articulate things man um but <laughs> <laughs> that's all good no worries. there's something i wanted to ask you as well i've got so many questions here but you talk about um different religions being and different sects being different parts or different parts that just break off is there, is there any certain parts that you've followed or you've looked into that have really helped you to navigate your own spiritual journey and make sense of it all well, mathematics has been a big one, which I think is probably a little surprising to a lot of the New Age community. Um, uh, but truly, I think all of them, of course, are quite beautiful, and I've been on on many. Um, there seems to be a certain pattern in which it all leads to. Like, uh, uh, I feel like a lot of people get to in life a certain state of nihilism. Um, but that nihilism kind of always leads to to the to to solipsism because nihilism is the kind of understanding the rejection of the external world and going okay well i don't know for certain anything at all i think there's nothing there's no great purpose um uh, but but that leads to something and and always almost the same thing nihilists usually always become solipsists because the solipsist goes it's not just nothing you're forgetting something you're forgetting one thing you know for certain, which is you're here. You don't know what it means to be here or who you are or what you are experiencing, but there is an experience of you that's happening. Um, and I think that's where uh, philosophy, that's like a bottleneck of philosophy, kind of eventually leads to a sort of nihilism. And then nihilism leads to a solipsism. And that solipsism is kind of like this bottleneck which sprouts into uh into spirituality because uh spirituality i mean just linguistically is the like uh the abstraction of of the spirit and the spirit of course as we talked about is the old word for consciousness or this the the essence the sense of self and so if solipsism leads one back to the sense of self that is what i know for certain then we've sparked off the literal def the definition of of spirituality and that's which sparks the other isms that i feel like that leads to uh to buddhism that leads to jainism and hinduism and uh those kinds of eastern practices they are a creation as a result of the bottleneck or the flow of philosophy uh into from the external world back to the inner inner world enough yeah i get i get that yeah yeah <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah. I, I had like three questions to ask you, but I lost those three questions when I was trying to listening to what you were saying. And now oh, that's okay. I'm of like <laughs> contemplation so deeply <laughs> yeah, this is, about they, the notion of spirituality. <laughs> that was just so beautifully done. Yeah. Wow. Wow. In terms oh, of like, <laughs> um, obviously we have like billions of planets and I think the probability of us not having interacted with some sort of like extraterrestrial race is very, very little. Mm -hmm. 
what do you think is do you think is that there's a possibility that they would have communicated with us already or they are communicating with us um and what and what impact would they have possibly have had uh i i feel like the chances get a little lower when we take into account uh, how, how young the universe is. And one of my favorite and most convincing arguments, the Fermi paradox, is that we're on like the first generation of planets, like ever. Because <laughs> we've had three generations of stars, roughly. You know, not every star is the same age, but, uh, but the first two generations couldn't produce planets. And we're on the first generation of planets and there's expected to be uh like tens of thousands if not trillions of generations of planets and generations of stars and we're on a third generation solar system of the of the 100 trillion generations of solar systems that will be so it's like it's actually like insanely nuts of how how young we are in the uh, in the universe if they're are is expected to be civilizations across that whole timeline of the universe then we're in the first like 0.0000001% of all the civilizations that will ever be we may just be one of the first ever uh but truthfully even though we are only the third generation planet again there are a lot of planets yeah. uh and so that all makes the percentage a little higher um but Putting those two ideas of the fact that there's so many planets, but we're also one of the first planets, then uh, that tells us that because we don't have the technology to communicate with other uh, uh, planets yet, then we shouldn't necessarily expect others to either because we've only had uh, radio for the past roughly 100, 200 years. So that means we could only have communicated with the any solar system within 200 light years and we've only ever been trying for the last like uh like 50 years so that shrinks the bubble down to to 50 light years so because all of the planets kind of started existing at the same time every single planet that's out there that could have a civilization can only communicate with the stars that are about 50 light years away from that and there's like there's only like 10 there's only like 10 solar systems within that range. And so now the chances of communication are like one in 10. So that is, is a little depressing. Um, but I think is the best resolution to the paradox. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Can, can you tell us a little bit about, no, sorry, man. You no, no, go for it. <laughs> a little bit about time travel. And do you think it's possible to actually time travel or does light time travel and things of that nature? Yeah, one of my favorite facts in physics is the concept of the four vector, that if our universe is, is, is three dimensions of space and four dimensions of time, and we're constantly moving through space and time, then every one of these little, everything in this universe has a direction in which it goes through space-time as a whole. And it turns out that the speed of that throughout the whole of space-time is always the speed of light for everything. So it's not that speed of the speed of light is the maximum speed. It's the only speed just divvied out in some combinations of through time or through space. So uh, for us right now, since we're not moving through space, we're moving through time at the speed of light. 
And because uh, light moves through space at the speed of light, then it's not moving through time at all. So light doesn't experience uh, any time. They exist like entirely perpendicular to us in space-time. Uh, and um, antimatter, when we do the calculation for what direction it's pointing through space-time, uh, it's backwards comparison to ours. So uh, there, we do experience particles coming from the future all the time. Uh, that's with with the advent of the discovery of antimatter, because antimatter is uh, mathematically equivalent to regular matter, except the only difference is that it's traveling backwards through time. It's, it's just that we don't experience it going backwards in time because we're going forwards with it. But while we're going forwards, we're actually seeing slices of it within the past, technically a younger version of it. Um, and I wish physicists would talk about this more. They're like, oh, yeah, they, they, they like hide it under layers of terminology. It's like, oh, yeah, it's called charge parity time symmetry. And so we expect uh, antimatter, which uh, to uh, be symmetric through time. But it's like, just say it how it is. They're going backwards through time. Things are going forwards and backwards and sideways through time all throughout the universe. But how do you reckon they avoid talking about that? Because uh, I don't think they believe it. Because it's it's these are things that arise within the mathematics, and uh, and I think they just chalk it down. They say what I said, which is it's mathematically equivalent to it, um, which is like I guess more uh, humble, <laughs> but but truthfully, it's not that like two plus two is mathematically equivalent to four. Like it is four, right? So whenever we have an equal sign, I see it as like that's what's happening, and we have an equal sign to matter and antimatter being described in terms of going forwards and backwards in time. So I feel like it it, it, it is, but that's more of a philosophical debate it's, at that it, point. I it's guess. interesting because it reminds me of like scientists who are like devote Christians who are looking at, looking through telescopes, looking back in time, millions and millions of years. And they believe that the universe was created 6,000 years ago, according to the Old Testament. But yeah, they yeah. know that that's not true because there's planets they're looking at that are millions of years old. Like how do they, how do they do this, you know? Well, I mean, we can get really creative with the arguments, like maybe uh, the speed of light changed. I know actually a lot of creationists believe that, that the speed of light is variable. And so that would affect the calculations of how old things are when it comes to how long the light took to get us. Well, but at that point, I feel like it's it's like you're looking for a reason to put the the Old Testament first and trying to match science to the Old Testament. Um big problem i suppose though it's a big assumption you know yeah. <laughs> it's like confirmation bias at that yeah, point heavily i gotta gotta got um compliment you man on your on your style your dressing downs and the lights and the sunglasses it's actually fucking awesome <laughs> i appreciate I that, that. Like it, dude, <laughs> yeah i'd love to be I in the, the studio studio you guys are oh yeah this is a jedi robe actually you can get oh, it on oh, amazon yeah it looks yeah. Is it velvet it's Jedi symbol. Velvet, I wish, but it oh. is very soft. I don't know what material. Oh, it looks pretty. It looks pretty snazzy. Yeah, man. I'm actually gonna get one. I'm gonna invest. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you, uh, you have a robe that you Ooh, just live in. I was like, you do less laundry. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's what we've got here. Have you ever had an experience where you've actually exited the simulation in some respect through meditation or psychedelics or? Well, I think the interesting realization that a lot of people have is that they were never in it. 
Oh, that yeah. it's like uh, like if you get sucked into playing a video game or, or maybe a better example now with modern technologies is VR uh, and you you take the goggles off. It's not like it'd be less accurate to say you've escaped it because you were never you were never in it. Uh, but what we really mean when we say we escape it is we stop at, uh, identifying within it. So if you're playing as, I don't know, some some anime girl in in a VR chat game and you really identify with that character you're kind of in the game because you've identified and you've attached yourself to this persona so escaping it is the the detachment or de-identification with it so all it really takes to escape the simulation is identify with the fact that you're not in it uh, but not only does that have to happen on an intellectual level, but it has to happen on uh, an experiential level because a lot of simulation theorists already believe this, but they haven't experienced it. And I think the best way to experience it is to notice that in your surroundings right now, in this conscious experience, uh, this all these objects within the room are objects within your experience, within your consciousness right now, not because they're actually like like within it in your brain they're just within this field of consciousness are the objects of this experience and because you are the consciousness and not any object within it then that means it is the world which is contained within you so there's nothing to escape because you're already the outermost layer that's true if, if all these true. objects in our surroundings you know are, are internal why 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 do they cost money <laughs> <laughs> why, why, why do we have to pay for these things, you know? Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, do you reckon it's like our beliefs that are shaping this world, like that I have to pay? Like, or can you break down this illusion that we're living in to suit better your needs? Yeah, but I think it's like manifestations and things like that. How much power of the mind do we really have over our reality? Oh, I, I, so much power. But yeah. I don't think we want that power. Because it's the limitations which kind of uh, which which make it interesting. Like uh, we we call someone creative if they have the ability to think outside the box. But uh, in order to think outside the box, you must first be confined to a box, <laughs> right? True. Like a, my favorite thought experiment is the one if we gave an artist everything they wished for, every type of paint, acrylic, oil. You name it. You gave him charcoal. You gave him every type of weighted canvas. You gave him a big warehouse of all the supplies and an infinite amount of time for them to create stuff. You open the doors. You push him in. You get him uh, experienced or aware of all the things they now have. And you tell him, go create something. That'll be the hardest decision that that artist has ever made, which is crazy because mm. that's kind of what we want to pursue the things we want to do. We want the tools to do them. But as soon as we have all the tools to do them, we no longer have a box to think outside of. But, and if we take that same artist and we put him in, in a garage and we give him maybe just two watercolor brushes and we tell him, I want you to paint me what you feel like envy looks like, we'll probably start right away. It'll be a much easier decision. Sure. So similarly, although we are in our identity, the universe not even in part, but in entirety, uh, we limit ourselves consciously for the sake of art, for the sake of creation. 
And so if we don't have the power over something, then that's because we don't want it. We want to be uh, limited for the sake of overcoming it or for the sake of art or for the sake of fun. Mm. Mm, beautiful. beautiful. So there's definitely a, a higher a higher part of ourselves that we're not fully communicating with that is making decisions beyond our control for us to sort of enjoy or create. Mm. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. The mind will have trouble understanding this because uh, the mind is, is lower on the hierarchy. Uh, but because the mind is the highest in terms of its awareness, then it won't be able to understand what's above. And that's where a lot of us get stuck upon this concept of a higher self. We don't believe in it, not because we don't experience it, but because the mind cannot experience it. And so the mind tells itself, it's like, oh, I, I'm the mind and, and that's it. And we, which are the higher self, like we are the higher self. It's not separate from us. We hear the mind tell itself on the mind. And so we get confused. Like if I had someone in my company named Jerry and Jerry was always telling me I'm an astronaut and he would remind me with every chance I got to be like, hey, I'm an astronaut. But guess what? I'm an astronaut. I'm an astronaut. Eventually hearing that. For so long, I'd start to think I'm an astronaut because the words within my consciousness would constantly be replaying, I'm an astronaut. And it is true that Jerry's an astronaut. And it is true that I'm constantly hearing Jerry tell me that I'm an astronaut. Similarly, it is true that the mind is the mind. When I say the words, I'm the mind, it's true because the mind is the one who said that. But our true selves beyond the mind hear this and get confused with it and they hear the mind tell itself on the mind and we start to identify it with it mm, damn damn and how would you how would you how would you link that to the law of attraction oh the law of attraction is beautiful yeah, correlate yeah. law of attraction mm -hmm. i think Imagine a soccer field, which was infinite, uh, or it doesn't have to be infinite, just imagine a soccer field out in the open, uh, and there's a soccer ball somewhere on it, uh, and there's a hole on the field, and there's wind. So we have a soccer field, it's windy, there's a hole somewhere on the field, uh, and, there's a, and there's a soccer ball. After some time, we should expect the soccer ball to fall within that hole. Uh, law of entropy things things eventually lead to lower energy states we dig a bigger hole one more so uh fitting for the soccer ball we should find more likely that soccer ball to eventually fall in that hole so although i come out into this big field and i might not know how to get the soccer ball physically i can prepare a vacancy for it so that it can be filled by it and I think the law of attraction is not so different on the level of the mind. We create a vacancy for something, and by the laws of you, whatever, Newton's second law or of thermodynamics, um, we should expect vacancies to be filled. Nature abhors vacuum. Uh, we've been taught this since a kid when we're, we see holes shaped in a star, and we have a little star shape, and we fit it in. You know, it's just satisfying to the universe to fill holes. Mm. name your favorite innuendo <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <But> yeah. <laughs> ultimately that's the law of attraction we create a vacancy in our mind for it and something fills that mm, interesting i never wow. thought about it like that creating vacancies 
right? Yeah. Mm. And how do you prevent the? How do you get out of you? How does? How do you prevent the ego from? How do you prevent the ego from? Kind of getting in the way of that. Um, you can't. <laughs> really. <laughs> but fortunately, somehow or another, there are these kind of patterns of thought which we communicate through each other through either sharing of videos or sharing of conversations which work our way around the globe through communities and whatnot. And who knows where these patterns of thought come from, but there are certain patterns of thought which are liberating and they liberate us when we hear them. Eventually, someone will come up to you who has received this pattern of energy and they're in a good mood and they want to relay, relay that onto you and they tell you like, hey, you look beautiful today. You look very distinguished and I'm really proud of you and you are exactly where you meant to be. Who knows where that pattern of energy came from? Maybe it was created by them or maybe they're just passing it on. But it's those natural forces which flow throughout society, which are, which are what causes cessation to the ego and causes a settlement of the mind. And so it's not ourselves which produce these patterns, but we're simply receptacles for them. And we simply must wait until they pass us by again. And that is when the ego uh, leaves for a while or returns to the background. Yeah. And how would you define the ego? The I. Whoever you think you are, that's your ego. Uh, okay. Whatever sense of identity you have, that's the ego. So would you would you say the I and the ego and the self are separate, or the ego the ego is the is the self? Um. So somewhere on on this phone, there is there's an ID number. There's actually a couple different IDs. There's you could consider the uh, the phone number, the ID, the model number, or the software number, or the uh, you name it. There's a bunch of like identification codes associated with this phone, but none of them are the phone itself, yet they identify the phone. Similarly, with this like body-mind complex, we have a bunch of like identities which each identify this system, but are not the system itself. So our name identifies us, but it is not us. Who we think we are identifies us, but it's not us. Our occupation, everything we attach ourselves to are like little concentrations or symbols of of us but these symbols are not us themselves and so the self is the whole system but the i is like the symbol which represents it beautiful man that, that's a very well do, do you have time for, for one more question oh of course yeah okay because yeah. um what do you think a black hole is and I remember seeing a video where you were talking about a sun existing within a black hole, or am I misinterpreting your video? Yeah, yeah. It's the old quasi-star. Yeah, so... Is that possible? What is a black hole, and, and how would a sun even exist within one? Like, do you have any mm -hmm. ideas on this mathematically or through your research? Oh. Uh, oh. There's so many ways to uh, to explain a black hole, but none of them are, like, ever satisfying. <laughs> um. <laughs> Hmm. I think a whirlpool 
is like an all right example. Mm. A whirlpool, at some point in a whirlpool, you get too close. You could never, uh, you could never go faster or fast enough to escape the whirlpool. You'll get sucked in because uh, you've reached like terminal velocity because the water itself is moving faster than anything uh, within the water is capable of. Mm. Uh, and that's kind of like a 2D example. Uh, and the, there's a kind of like an equivalent 3D version. And, and we cannot really imagine it perfectly because it kind of, the whirlpool example really only made sense because we had a third dimension to be a bird's eye, bird's eye view to visualize it properly. But similarly, a black hole, uh, instead of the water, it's, it's space itself. And there's just this certain region uh, of space-time which is being sucked towards uh, a single geometric point, or sometimes it's a ring. But anyway, in any case, it's this like it's the spot within it that's being sucked within, and it's being sucked at such a speed that anything near it cannot reach the terminal velocity to escape it. Uh, and so it could never, theoretically, unless it uh, it itself gets destroyed. It, it anything that gets past that uh, threshold, which we call the event horizon, could never be seen again. Um, so you know, classic saying, not even light can escape it. But Roger Penrose, who was recently awarded the Nobel Prize for getting, uh, for just kind of discovering it through mathematics itself, like 50 years ago, he got the prize recently since because we finally got a photograph of one that proved it finally. Oh wow! Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting that uh, yeah, 50 we years decide ago. to award him. Yeah, it might have even been more than that. Yeah, but uh, but he he proved it to himself within the equations of Einstein's relativity. And uh, he, it kind of showed him that there's more than just uh, the remnants of a supernova, because that's the only, that's one way we know how they happen. But what they are is is truly magical. He saw that there's this certain kind of equation that we can use to understand what happens inside of it, um, because mathematicians are built different a little bit, and they can they can just go inside of it uh, within their mind. They don't have to physically go inside of it. And within it, he found that if we extend these equations of the universe uh, and follow what happens within it, then we should expect in a black hole there's this like this infinitely dense point. Sure, that's fine. But something interesting happens if the black hole is rotating. That point, that infinitely dense point, turns into a, a circle, a ringularity it's called. And within that ringularity, and within the black hole as a whole, space and time swap. There's no longer three dimensions of space and one dimension of time. There's three dimensions of time and one dimension of space. Uh, Figure out what that means, I don't know. But what I do know is you'd have to wear three watches at all times, one for each dimension. <laughs> Um, and after entering the black hole, you'd see only if it's rotating, which is really weird, uh, only if it's rotating, then you'd see other universes leading into a black hole and the black hole itself would be leading into multiple wormholes. And inside each of these wormholes, you would see this membrane, which is, uh, 
that comprises the ringularity. And the membrane separates uh, these so-called antiverses, uh, and you could not see go through it. But it would be a barrier. It's this like heartbreaking barrier between universes that you could never cross this membrane. But indeed, that is like this wall that separates universes. And if you were to touch this wall, you'd be like, uh, uh, like accumulated into the wall itself and you'd become the wall. But you could never pass through it. But that's kind of the wall and it's not the end of the wormhole. That's kind of what comprises it. But if you keep going down the wormhole, you'll eventually lead into a white hole. And this white hole is much like the black hole, except it works in reverse. Things can come into a black hole and not out. But things can come out of a white hole and not in. And this white hole would lead to, yet again, more universes, parallel universes. So it's very strange that mathematically, at the center of a regular black hole, there's nothing but a single point. There's this mysterious point called the singularity. That's it. But if we spin it and we then go in, it's like this hub between the multiverse, which is wow, exciting. Wow. I have never heard that. Just blew my mind. I know, right? Yeah, it's quite exciting. How, how, did, they, how did they send someone into a black hole and see what happens? But you never find out. You never find out. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty sure they pass away. Do you think there's ever a possibility of us like understanding mathematics to such a depth where we would be able to like cross the through the back black hole and back when I have or having the technological capability to do that? I think it is possible, especially if we uh, remember that think about antimatter, which is just regular matter, but going backwards in time. If we can somehow find a mechanism to convert ourselves into antimatter when we are within the black hole, then we would start we would leave the black hole because we would be going backwards in time. Uh, thus, we can't escape the black hole because according to the universe, even though to our perspective, we're going out of it, uh, because we're going backwards in time, it's as if we were going into it further. Uh, so we can kind of take advantage of the fact that that antimatter is going backwards through time in order to escape one. I think that's the only possibility to oh, actually escape one. So that therefore mean like the only possibility for us to travel to other galaxies would be to utilize antimatter in some way, some form. I think so. Yeah, that's uh, the whole concept. The the worm or the uh, the warp drive ties into that. You need something yeah. exotic like that to to take advantage of. Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, if we if the only limit is the speed, if you can only travel t um, at the speed of light. We would never be able to get there. It would take thousands. Yeah, of years. yeah, yeah. It's yeah, surprisingly so it, slow the speed of light. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is quite interesting. Damn. We're gonna go look into that. For, for someone starting on their journey in mathematics and spirituality, were there any books or people you'd recommend to follow or buy or purchase to really go down the rabbit hole and spark the mind? Well, on the assumption that there is this great truth to uncover or multiple truths or no truths at all, whatever natural mechanisms allow the universe to exist, um, they should be universal. Like this concept of universal truth is universal because it's all pervasive, it's omnipresent, such as why we associate and personify truth with God. And one of the attributes of God we say is, is omnipresent, which means he's found within everything 
homogeneously. Mm. So because of that, we should expect to find truth in everything within any book you pick up. But most importantly, you do not even need an external object at all. All of it should be within you because you are the universe. Thus, any secrets of the universe should be baked into your being by being the universe. Um, so I probably wouldn't recommend a book or a movie or anything. If anything, I'd recommend an empty one so that you can write your own. <laughs> no, that's, good, that's good, yeah. I need a random applause. Do you write a lot yourself? Um, I don't actually, which is funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll buy you a blank. <laughs> oh, beautiful. <laughs> okay. Cheers. Now there's one question I forgot to ask you, and that was um chaos theory. Yeah. What is chaos theory? Chaos theory is is beautiful. That's that's what it is. Um, chaos theory is the reason we can't predict the weather accurately after after seven days. We have a one week forecast, and after after a week, it's like. Okay, maybe we can maybe say there's a 10% chance of rain. Even on like today's forecast, we can only ever have a percentage chance of rain. Um, and of course, like we just can't we just can't take into account like every single particle of the atmosphere because every single particle is like significant, which is what makes chaos theory beautiful. Is it tell us tells us that. When we have a system where everything's so interconnected that uh, a tiny change of anything creates change in the whole system, then every part of that system has this like power, equal uh, creative power. No one is insignificant in this. In a, and the atmosphere is like that. A single atom will change uh, the forecast. Uh, a single atom changed one millimeter to the left will make uh, next week's forecast completely different. Maybe there'll be a tsunami somehow <laughs> through some chain of events. Um, and I think chaos theory, it's called chaos theory because it's, it's such a, a system is called chaotic when you can't predict it or you would require like super conscious uh, level of understanding to be able to take into account all of that level of self-interaction. So we call it chaotic. Uh, but chaos theory is how we produce fractals, uh, because fractals are inherently self-symmetric, self-interacting kind of algorithms, which produce these beautiful imagery like the Mandelbrot set and like ferns and trees and uh, the universe itself is a chaotic system. And so I think chaos theory is the, is the study of all that, the study of when you have uh, self-interaction and that self-interaction sparking beautiful dynamicism beautiful beautiful and where can people find you on social media and things like that anything you got going on or coming up or creating at the moment well you can find me at uh yam socks on tiktok y-a-m-s-o-x i also have a website uh that i uh, that i need to pay for <laughs> due dates coming up today i think which is yamsocks.ca and there I have uh, my links to all my social media and all of my projects. So that's kind of the hub for it. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Dude, thank, thank you, you so much. much. Yeah. That was incredible conversation, man. Yeah. Just gonna oh, go thank you. Man. You guys have great questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm still spinning. I'm spinning out for at least a few weeks, weeks now yeah. to, uh, 
<laughs> and I feel like I've leveled up in quite a tremendous way. So I'm, I'm so glad I get to share this um, with my audience and with the world and see where it where it takes us. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for having us with me. No worries at all, yeah. brother. Oh, man. So grateful, bro. Yeah.